You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. Corey Yelland is away today. The farther north you live from the equator, the more likely you are to suffer from multiple sclerosis. It's estimated that more than 2.5 million people around the world suffer from MS, a chronic disease that attacks the central nervous system which controls all actions of the body. Joining us today is Meg Llewellyn of Seattle, Washington. She was diagnosed with MS in 2007 and writes a blog about what she says is the good, the bad, and the downright funny shit that happens when living with MS. And she joins us from Seattle. Meg, good of you to do this. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ian. How is your medical condition today compared to when you were first diagnosed nearly 10 years ago? Well, my situation is a little unique. Um, In my blog, I write about the fact that when I was diagnosed, I was a very active person. I was running probably six to seven miles, six days a week. And so the first symptoms that I experienced, I was convinced that I had just simply pinched a nerve. And from that, you know, first indication that there was something wrong to being diagnosed, I was then using a cane 100% of the time within five or six months. And there was, although I'm relapsing, remitting, I really didn't have any reprieve from that. And my balance in my walking was was very, very iffy at best. And let's see, six years ago, I put my cane away and I have not used it a single day since then. And it's not because of any new medication. Um, I went through a divorce and I do believe that reduction in stress definitely helped me. Um, I'm just in a in a better place in my life, but I also, you know, MS is, it comes and goes. And so who knows? I, I may have stayed in my marriage and I may have, you know, reaped the benefits of these improvements. Um, the one thing that is different now for me that didn't exist when my walking and balance was so questionable was pain. That's what's come into my life that wasn't there before. And so the last two to three years, particularly, it's gotten to the point where it's, it's extremely uh, constant, and the, the levels are pretty high. Megan, your discussions with other people who have MS, has there been any talk about the relationship between stress and uh, exacerbation of symptoms? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know I, I can say that I don't know, but I've ever heard somebody argue the other side of that. I've, I've never heard somebody with MS say, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it really, there's a correlation. Um, and, you know, I have had moments where just simple things will trigger a memory, whether it be the sound of a, you know, a vehicle outside of my home or something where I am feeling, you know, fairly well, my legs are working, I'm standing at the kitchen sink. And within 20 minutes, you know, I can't stand just because something has triggered a stress, you know, release in my body. You know, there, when I go to the gym, uh, I see a lot of runners in, in the gym, and you're a runner, so you may know this, 
they have these rollers and they roll their their thighs and oh ian i have a love affair with my roller oh do you i oh my god i actually have a blog post that i've been working on i'm not i'm not very comfortable with the video aspecting of of blogging Mm -hmm. my kids my teenagers are like mom that's the way of the future i can't do a selfie i don't like taking video of myself but it is and i you know i do exercise and i stretch but the rolling is just absolutely incredible with the amount of help it can offer Um, it's it because we keep our our stress locked into our muscles don't we yep yep and you gotta release it and, you know, I mean, you know, there are numerous ways that you can do that. And, you know, massage therapy was something that I was using for a number of years until insurance changed, you know, what I couldn't couldn't get approved for. But just and, and you know, I'm not going to lie. I say I have a love affair with the, the roller. It's extremely painful, but, you know, it can make a big difference. And it, it doesn't last because, you know, mm-hmm. you get up and you do other things and the pain begins to creep up again. Um, but actually, that was brought into my life. Both my boys are into powerlifting, like big time into powerlifting. Mm-hmm. And they both have, you know, the, the small rollers for their thighs and the big ones to roll out their backs and their pecs and whatever else. And, you know, they finally convinced me to give it a shot. And it's been amazing. Yeah, it is. I've tried it, too. It, it really is remarkable. Meg, yeah. tell, tell me what went through your mind when the doctor told you that you had MS. Oh, Ian. Okay, I can't. I can tell you the story. Sure. But well, I got in trouble at the last radio station because I said the f bomb. So I will not say that on here. <laughs> no. Well, you can you can say it here because uh, I can. Okay. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. I got this person in trouble, and I didn't. I didn't mean to do that. No. We um, uh, we are under no guidance from okay. uh, corporate uh, North America. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, so when I was diagnosed, as I said, I was very, very active. You know, when I first paraded into the neurologist's office, um, even though I felt terrible and could barely walk, was wall walking at that point, you know, I always had my shit together. Like, I looked good. You know, I could feel like shit, but I was going to look good. And so I can understand from the standpoint of the doctor, you know, how much does he believe when I say, you know, this is terrible because I'm smiling and joking and, you know, being really, really friendly. And... Through the course of the approximately, it was a month between when he first diagnosed me with transverse mellitus, and I was told that it was a temporary thing, that it would eventually clear up and I would be back to running and, you know, would look back at this as just a fond memory, and to then being told that he wanted me to go back in for another MRI, and by the time I came back in to get the results, I was already feeling improvements because that flare-up was beginning to, you know, subside. And so when I walked into the office that morning, I was pretty cocky and just thought, you know, I did the brain scan and it's going to come out normal. And when I sat down and he said, you have multiple sclerosis, my absolute gut and first response was, oh, fuck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, although I did not particularly like this doctor at this point in time, I learned to, to get that he actually knew me better than I, you know, I realized and, you know, his immediate response was, no, this isn't an oh-fuck moment. This is an oh-damn moment. Mm-hmm. You know, oh-fuck is your child gets leukemia. You know, oh-fuck is your husband gets hit by a drunk driver and leaves you with seven kids to raise on your own. Nobody dies from MS. You know, you're going to you're gonna live. You're going to be fine. You're going to figure out ways to go, you know, go your course. And, you know, that is probably similar to what I would have come up on my own with. But I'm not sure I would have come up with it that immediately. 
you know, because that being the moment that I learned about it, I, I honestly, I never turned around and said, why me? You know, or what am I going to do? It was just, you know, I kept repeating that because it's absolutely true. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I feel extremely fortunate, you know, for many that may not have been what they needed to hear. But for me, it really was, you know, just like, and he said, you know, the honestly, the only thing I feel bad about for you is you having to tell people. And I you know, kind of was shocked by that. And he said, well, you've been in and out of here in the MRI and the infusion room and, you know, you got a spinal tap. And not once have you ever come in with someone. You've always come in on your own. You know, I don't know if you're married, but, you know, or even friends, you know, I'm imagining you're a fairly independent person. And so for you to tell people that you have MS, he said, you know, it's a very broad term because there are different types of MS. And even, you know, what we know to now today, he was predicting, you know, he said, it's like saying you have cancer, but not elaborating, you know, do you have a small dot on your face that needs to be removed or do you have lung cancer or pancreatic cancer? You know, he said there are so many different aspects and, and so many people know someone somewhere who has a cousin whose relative got diagnosed and he's in a wheelchair in five minutes. You know, it's like there's always going to be the people who, you know, have something to say about it who probably don't know anything about it. And he said, and for that, you know, I feel bad for you. And my response was, well, do I have to tell anybody? You know, because I kept thinking that I was just going to, you know, get better and I could just go on and say, oh, it was just this thing. It was transverse mellitus. Um, but I didn't, I didn't anticipate that I would need the cane for three or four years. Did you ever go through a period of why me? No, as I said, I no, I didn't. Um, and I actually had one of my followers write me a very long email last month that I, I'm still, I, I've responded to them, but I'm still kind of hacking out in my mind a blog post that I want to write about it. But it was, you know, don't you ever mourn who you were or wonder what your life would be like if you didn't have MS? And I can't answer that because... I have MS. Like it's, it's not, it doesn't define me, but it's definitely part of, you know, everything that happened in my life. I don't know that I would have been strong enough to ask for a divorce in a very unhappy marriage had I not gotten MS. It was a wake up call. Like I want to be happy. I want to be with somebody who wants to be with me. And, you know, I honestly, I don't know if I would have, you know, stood up for myself. And, you know, so I, and I can, I can say I really don't like living with the pain. But I can also find, you know, a dozen or more, you know, very positive things that have come as a result of this. I guess what you're saying is that some people become their disease, don't they? They're victims of X disease. Yes. And you've you've determined in your own mind that you are not a victim of MS. Do I have that yeah, right? And, yes. And I, and I have to say, I mean, it's, you know, being out in the, the blog land and, and having my blog so well received and having so many people follow it, you know, I'm not judging anybody who's a victim because I don't know what it's like to walk in their shoes. I, you know, and, and so for me to write my blog post and say, I'm so happy and I love my life. And, you know, I, I am not saying that if I was going through what they're going through, you know, everybody's life experiences add up to who they are and, you know, and what what they believe and what they experience today and tomorrow. Um, but I just, I can't be a victim. I, you know, it's not worth it. Did the doctor put you on any medications? I've been on a lot of medications. I was immediately put on um, a DMD disease modifying drug, or it's also a DMT disease modifying therapy. Um, and, at that point in time, about 10 years ago, the, the first course of action was to try the interferon. 
Foods, and there were three different uh, products out there. And the funny thing is the neurologist, my it's not an oh fuck moment doctor, wasn't an MS doctor. He happened to have a considerable knowledge about it because of where he did his internship as a, a med student. And there was a, you know, a pocket outside of, I think it was Rush Memorial in Chicago, that they had many, many MS patients. So he was familiar kind of with the protocol and, and the drugs and whatnot. And the funny thing was, being a neurologist in Seattle, where there are a lot of people with MS, he was often visited by the pharmaceutical reps, you know, kind of peddling their wares. And he had not had an MS patient in a number of years. And so when he gave me the diagnosis, he had already pre- prepared this enormous box full of every single piece of paraphernalia they had delivered to him about these three different products. Mm-hmm. So I had a hat, I had pens that, you know, had for Avanex and Rebif and all the, you know, the three different ones. And he's like, go home, watch this, read this and decide what you want to do. Um, and so I went on the interferons for about nine months, and I had a couple of additional MRIs and was showing significant progression. So after nine months, they decided, you know, it's not working. So then I went on Tysabri, which is a, an effusion every 28 days, and it had been approved by the FDA and then was pulled. I don't, I don't remember all the specifics, but it had to do with the fact that a patient or two had died from a, a brain complication, and then they discovered there was something, the JVC, they could test you for it, and if you had it, you sh- shouldn't take it, and if you didn't, you'd be fine. And so I went on that, and I, as I said, I used my cane, and my walking imbalance was terrible, and nothing had helped at that point. And even after the first infusion, I began to show signs of improvement, which was you know, really big for me. Mm-hmm. Um, second infusion, I'm, I'm kind of an obtuse person. I just go about, you know, I do things. I don't second guess. I don't pay attention. And at that point, I had a small photography business and I was in the infusion center getting my second infusion and I was developing a photo shoot that I had done the week before and I kept itching and I thought it was just the heavy sweater I had on and it ended up my arms were covered in hives. And so they stopped the infusion and they gave me hydrocortisone and Benadryl and then continued on. And my third infusion, they gave me both of the hydrocortisone and the Benadryl prior to starting the infusion to pre-medicate, figuring that I had an allergic reaction. Mm-hmm. And it ends up that I had developed, there are many things that I've had to Google during this process. I had developed antibody positivity to Tysabri, which meant my body was going to fight the drug like to the bitter end. And so about five minutes into the start of my infusion, I actually went into anaphylactic shock. And as I say, when I write about it, I don't remember much because apparently I wasn't really aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that made them, you know, like they had hoped that it was just an allergy and that they could continue to pre-medicate. But once they did the test for that and it came back, then Tysabri was off the market for me. Um, there weren't that many other opportunities. Um, rituximab was in testing by the FDA or by whoever tests, and um, but it was a double blind. And the secondary was the interferons that had already proven not to work for me, so I couldn't qualify for that. And since it wasn't already on, or it wasn't yet on the market, my doctor at that point in time wrote a compassionate care waiver and had did manage to get my insurance company to cover the, I think it was like $48,000 for the rituximab. And I did one course of that 
and back they say can last 12 to 18 months and I showed some improvement um, but then after that I waited until oral medications came out and that was the tech that era came out and so I started that and that didn't work for me so I've actually not been on a disease modifying drug for about two and a half three years now and then you um, uh, discovered uh, that you wanted to try cannabis take us through yes. that take us through that story so as the pain had gotten significantly worse over the course of, as I said, probably the last three or four years, it began to kind of creep in. Um, and I have I have done all the different pain medications. I started and then I confessed to my doctor that I thought I had a drinking problem because I would come home every night and I would pour myself a beer or a glass of wine because one glass would take my pain level from beyond 10 to like a manageable seven that I could make dinner and get through helping the kids with homework and getting them to bed. And, you know, again, I have great doctors and, you know, just looked at me and said, you don't have a pain, you don't have a drinking problem. You have a pain problem. And, you know, you found something that, you know, puts it, you know, puts it to a level that you can survive. You know, most people would do that. And But by telling him and being open and honest with him, it made him look at kind of a different family of pain medications than they would normally look at. And so, I, you know, I tried some things. At one point, I was on methadone, and that really helped. But I didn't like the idea that I was on this controlled substance, and it was a pain in the butt to get. And it, your body begins to, you know, acclimate to it and get used to it. And they wanted to increase my dosage, and I really didn't want to. And so I came off of that. I tried a couple of more things in the last year. And come about September, I've always known about cam- cannabis. And it's been legal here in Seattle for, what, three or four years? Mm-hmm. Three years. And I've had my medical marijuana card for about five years. Every year, my doctor signs it again. And, and yet, I never explored it. And people wonder why. And as I said to my new medical marijuana best friends at my pot shop yesterday, like, I I think it was mainly because it was my last resort. Like, the pain is really, really bad. But if I try that and that doesn't work, what else do I, I you know, at least I always had that as a backup. And I think over the course of like the holidays, and even though we tried to have a relaxing holiday, I mean, you you do get stressed. I mean, the pain got so bad that I just finally decided, you know, I got to give it a shot. And I am a mother. And, you know, as I said, I've never had like any preconceived notion particularly about, I don't, you know, pot being legal or not legal. It seems to me to make sense. I mean, if it's okay for me to pour a beer at night, you know, who's to say that I shouldn't smoke a joint? I mean, that doesn't seem, you know, worse. One doesn't seem worse than the other to me, but I never really put any thought into it. And it's amazing how in this past month, just from the people I've met, the responses I've gotten, you know, via all the different Facebook, you know, groups I'm in and my blog and my Twitter and, and Instagram, like how strongly I now feel that the, Medically, I think that everyone should have the opportunity to try it, you know, and I think of all the things that doctors are just so willing to write prescriptions for that, you know, can I, I I had one that I'm still battling with it 18 months ago, I started a drug and, you know, I don't generally show a lot of the, the side effects. I just kind of take medicines, but I put on 20 pounds in eight weeks. And, you know, I'm a small person, but 20 pounds, like, I don't fit in my clothes anymore. And, you know, I was joking with my doctor because 
the primary use of the medicine is for depression. And I just laughed at him and I'm like, really? So you're going to get somebody, give somebody who's depressed something that's going to make them gain 25 pounds and you think they're going to be happy about this? <laughs> and I was like, this is not a good drug. That's right. And he's like, oh, I didn't really think about that. I was like, that's yeah, not a really good thing. But I mean, I just began to see the side effects of all of these things. And, and, you know, again, you know, I'm pouring myself a glass of wine or a beer and, you know, the, the, the sole objective is to try to get on top of the pain. And, you know, I had to come to terms with it's legal here. You know, I have many, you know, friends that when we're out camping, instead of having a beer, you know, they're smoking a joint. I, you know, it, it's not as if I haven't been around it. I just, and I knew that in my mind, like that, that first day, which it sounds crazy, but it was like a big thing for me to actually pay a visit to the pot shop. Like I, I had to overcome some hurdles of not like, oh my God, somebody's going to see me. Just, I think part of it was I felt um, naive, like I felt like a newbie and I felt like I was going to walk in and people, you know, were just kind of going to smirk at the fact that I didn't know anything. And, and that was so not the case. I mean, I, I absolutely adore this place that I went to. I think that they should be extremely proud of all of their employees and their willingness to not only help, but to learn. I mean, I spent two and a half to three hours there yesterday talking to one of their employees. And it was a surreal moment for me because I walked in and I had asked for the store manager who I've met and or the other girl and neither were there. I mean, it's Super Bowl Sunday, not surprising. And, you know, I said, can I call them for you? And I said, no, not at all. And he's like, wait, are you the blogger? And, you know, I was kind of like, I don't know who wants to know. And he's like, oh, my God, your blog was the whole topic of our conversation at our marketing meeting this morning. And I was really hoping that I would be able to meet you. My mom has, you know, like a a back, you know, she broke her back and she has like fused, you know, spine or whatever. And she's and he said, I've been trying to convince her I wanted to read your blog. And I mean, I just had the most wonderful experience, you know, talking to him. And I learned from him and he learned from me and you know, I'm extremely fortunate to have, you know, to be in a place where it's legal and to have found, you know, a resource like that. But I also, you know, even if medical marijuana places hadn't closed up shop and I, you know, had somebody who was an expert, the, the thing that I'm quickly learning is there isn't anybody who's going to be able to tell you, do this, this, and this, because everybody's body is different. And everybody's MS is different. Everybody's pain is different. And so it's it's kind of figuring out what your body needs. You're absolutely right. You've hit, you've hit the nail on the head because yeah. people ask, what strain should I take? And uh, you have to find out for yourself because your body is different than my body. I, uh, we interviewed a woman yesterday who, from Vancouver whose daughter had severe epilepsy. And uh, the she took a high CBD and at times mm-hmm. a high THC. Another uh, child had the same epilepsy but had the reverse. They took a high CBD and a lower THC. So everybody is different. They had the same disease, but their responses to the THC and, and the cannabis were different. And yeah, which makes total sense. Yeah. I mean, because how, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, pharmaceuticals or, you know, cannabis, how your body reacts to, you know, one pain med that they give you and one pain that they give me, you know, it, it's all your body and chemical and, you know, all of those things come into play. How, do, and, how does the cannabis help you? Or Well, we're still working on that one, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're still I, a know, work in that, progress. I am. I am a big time work in progress. Yeah. Um, and I, I, 
tend to, as I said, I'm, I am, I, I'm, I'm obtuse. I like to just kind of, you know, I've lived with the pain for so long just because it is what it is. I mean, that's kind of my mantra. And, you know, if that isn't the case and, you know, there are things I can do to make it better, that's fantastic. But I'm also, you know, un- I have to understand it's not a quick fix and it's not going to be, you know, you know, perfect. It's not going to just go away. And, you know, all of those things are kind of things that I've, I've come to learn over the, the past month. And as I said, I feel really, really lucky that I have found this source that I can talk to. And I, I just love, I didn't have any idea that when I posted, I knew that people would respond like, yes, you know, I have many, many people with MS, you know, use cannabis or CBD oil or want to. Um, it may not be legal where they live. So I knew that I would have, you know, a, a fairly significant response to it and that, you know, I would have a number of views on it. I didn't really anticipate it's kind of taken on a life of its own. I mean, I've had a lot of people reach out. Um, I'm doing a number of guest blog posts in the next couple of weeks. I, you know, there are a number of people who want to know if I want to do a second blog just solely on this story, you know, Meg's medical marijuana journey. Um, and, you know, it excites me because, you know, I hear from, you know, the MS mom that's in Florida who is saying, like, I can't imagine, you know, I have kids that are, you know, young teenagers and, you know, how am I supposed to tell them, you know, that mom smokes pot and, you know, but they shouldn't. And I said, you know, I had the same problem. I have three teenagers, knock on wood so far. And and this isn't just because I have my head up my ass and I don't see it. They don't do drugs. They don't drink. They, you know, they're all right now doing really well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had to battle with that. Like, okay, so now I'm going to say, hey, guess what? Mommy's going to the pot shop. And, you know, I, it took me a while because I didn't want to hide it from them because I don't hide things from them. I've always been very honest with, you know, my, my MS and, and all of the things that happened in my life because of it. Yeah, um, but what, what, and I didn't. Yeah, but Meg, what's the difference between a parent going to the pharmacy and saying, I'm going to get my abso- methadone? Absolutely, Ian. Right? I mean, that's, believe me. No, no. And I knew that. But like sometimes logic as a parent <laughs> doesn't always work. That's you know, right. it's, I know. You know, and, and I have to be okay with who I am and who I am showing them I am. Mm-hmm. And so like I needed, and that was a process. It probably took me about a year. And you're right. I mean, like, as I said, my boys are into powerlifting. Like they're, you know, going to national and, and world competitions. So like it's not, you know, a small thing for them. And, you know, they joke about remembering when mommy used to go get her steroids, you know, because that was what would, you know, I'd go and get my steroids when I had a flare up with my MS. And, you know, here's my 18 year old like, well, what the fuck, mom, you're getting steroids. I'm like, it's a whole different ball game, dude. (laughs) Different steroids. And he's like, well, I could use your steroids. I was like, they're not going to do anything for you. But no, and I, I knew that logically, but I had to, as I said, I needed to be okay with it. And I needed to, you know, tell them because I didn't want to not tell them. I mean, they're teenagers. They're not here all the time. I could certainly be doing it and not telling them. But I wanted to share the story with them. And, you know, you're right. Like when I went on the methadone at that point, I was still on my ex-husband's insurance. And, you know, he gets the bill for methadone and he's in the restaurant business and he's convinced that I've become a heroin addict. And this is my, you know, withdrawal med. And so, I mean... There was a big topic about that. I was like, you know, so there was probably more to be said about, you know, a drug that my doctor had prescribed for me than me, you know, going to my local marijuana shop and finding something that actually works. Meg, are you convinced uh, that marijuana is the route you should take in the future in, in order to control your pain from MS? I can't answer that yet. 
Um, am I convinced that I'm going to, I'm going to keep working on it? Absolutely. Um, and the reason I can't answer that is because thus far, anything that I have found that helps, you know, whether a lot or a little eventually stops helping. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, I've, you know, as I said, I'm still at the point where I'm figuring out what works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday's trip brought, you know, a couple of new things. You know, I wrote about the blog post where I came home and I took two strong hits of, because the first was just CBD oil. And then via all these helpful people and, and reading a bunch on leafly.com and all of these other sites, you know, I began to understand that my aversion to no THC, I do not want to be high, you know, that it's it's the combine the combination of the two. It's the chemical reaction that helps a lot of people with their pain. The entourage, so I returned, the entourage yeah. effect. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and so I returned saying, okay, maybe I'm not that opposed to THC, but like, I don't want to be out of my mind. Like I have kids, I have stuff I have to do. I have a blog that's public. I don't want to make a fool of myself. And so, you know, they gave me one that had more THC. And as I said, I my one of my followers described it as I spicolied it and I took way too much and I got the effects of what I remember because I remember not liking being high and I now remember why you know I I was in full panic mode I was convinced that the guy at the store did this to me that you know he sent sold me something that wasn't right for me because he wanted me to be messed I mean I was crazy for like three hours and at the end of that I was like okay this is why I didn't want the high and you know, I think way back when I was in college years and years ago, I mean, if you got pot, it was just somebody handed it to you at a you know fraternity party or whatnot. It was not like, golly, what strain is this? You know, and, and is it the indica or the, you know, it, you just didn't know. And now there's just, it blows my mind with how much there is, you know, information and, and just how finely tuned it seems to become or becoming. Um, and so, you know, I had this great conversation with this guy yesterday about it and, you know, went with another fairly similar as far as the ratios with the higher CBD, but some THC. But then also he asked about like sleeping and I said, well, you know, I, the, the pain is lessened. So I'm, I'm falling asleep. He said, you know, you could find something that has higher THC to help you fall asleep. And I said, you know, I have this voice in my mind and it gets to be Alvin the chipmunk when I, you know, smoked. And he's like, but there are others, you know, I said, I think I have a similar mind and, you know, this one works for me. And so I, I took him on his word. I mean, it, and none of these, I mean, are small expenses. I mean, it's, it's, I have to kind of save up and say, I'm going to go this week and I'm going to buy these products. And I hope they work, you know, because if they don't, I'm, they're just going to sit in the cabinet. But I mean, I, I brought it home and, you know, I took a puff or two last night and he's absolutely right. I mean, it was a totally different feeling of high than I had with that other one two weeks ago. So all of those things that, I mean, it was it perfect. No, but it was so much more like what he described. And it's so encouraging for me to realize that there are so many options out there. Yeah, one and of the, that there one are, of, are sorry. One of the things that you should uh, you should think about too is using suppositories in the evening because it uh, it doesn't give you a high when you use suppositories. Okay. Okay. And therefore, I, I know exactly what you mean about getting high and paranoid and things like that because uh, that makes me uncomfortable as well. But one of the oh. things that we've talked to a lot of people who, who have the same feeling that uh, we do when they get high is that when they take the suppository at night, they don't get high, they sleep well. They may feel a little groggy in the morning, but that wears off. And it, okay. it helps them tremendously. Maybe okay. One of the things I want to ask you, just in the, about the last five minutes that we have here, you talk about the good, the bad, and the funny shit of living with MS. What's, what's the funny shit? 
<laughs> oh, well, let's see. I made a naked 911 phone call one night when my legs went paralyzed and nobody was home. And there was no blankets or anything to be had. So I had to have the whole fire crew come out and see me butt naked on my deck. Um, you know, I've peed my <laughs> pants in public. I've, I, you know, I, I, well, when I got a divorce, I mean, everybody, one of the things, you have this questionnaire that you answer when you go to a neurologist and it's like, rate your pain and, you know, I have anxiety and all these things. And one of the questions on every doctor's office that I've ever been to is about sexual dysfunction. And I was in a, in a marriage that we hadn't had sex in five plus years. And so I just put question mark and I was like, I don't know. And so when I was going through my divorce, I wanted to know, like, if it all worked. And everybody's like, well, couldn't you just tell on your own? Like, can you bring yourself to orgasm? And I was like, no, it's it's an interaction. Like, I need to know if I, you know, can be with somebody else and it works. So I ended up making a booty call and calling some guy and that I knew that I was friends with and asking him to have sex with me so that I could know, with or without confidence, if I went into the dating world, whether or not... I had sexual dysfunction problems. <laughs> and I wrote about this. And the greatest thing is while going through the divorce in court, my ex-husband brought that to the attention of the judge in, in an attempt to kind of defamate my character. Mm-hmm. And he, so he, he put, you know, as evidence, my blog and, you know, with the intent that that was what his attorney was trying to do. The, humorous side of that is the following morning the judge makes reference to my blog and that just happened to be the last blog blog post i had written but there was plenty more you know out there to be read and he said you know now i see that you're now blogging about your life with ms i see you have significant improvements congratulations and he's like i have to tell you i went to bed much later than i intended because i could not stop reading young lady (laughs) and i had the same thing i went when i was laid off by a company i'd worked for for like the last four or five years um last january and and they paid for you know all of us to go to i don't know headhunters or career advisors and i was in the office with one you know and we're working on my resume about you know where do i want to go from here and and i you know i everybody says when you're you know looking for a new job you know have all of your social media you know in in the same basket like have everything kind of correlated and i knew the blog was out there and i knew you know like i know that i write about things that some people are horrified that i'm making public and i know that i joke that i'm inappropriate but you know this is me and i knew that if i ever were to go to a job interview that people are going to google me and they're going to find it and so i you know asked the guy i said well i have this blog and he's like okay and so he said well let's pull it up and he's like oh this i mean it looks nice and he's like well i mean you know how long have you been doing it and how many followers and i said at that point i had about ten thousand followers and he's like Oh, and he clicks over and like all of a sudden I can't get his attention because he's reading and he's like, this is funny. And I was like, I know. And I lived it. I was like, and he's like, maybe you should just think about writing because I mean, I'd keep reading this. And he, that was a year ago and he still checks in with me every once in a while. No, that's but, that's great. Meg, yeah. how can people find your blog? So it is B as in boy, B as in boy, H as in house with MS.com. And, and the BBH is something my now boyfriend of six and a half, seven years um, used to joke, as I said, you know, I felt like as long as I looked okay, you know, it didn't matter how bad I felt. And 
I have a haircut that people often compliment me on. And so the hair was one thing. And I have these boots that I wear. I've worn almost every single day since I was diagnosed 10 years ago. I've had to get two replacements, but they're, they just fit my feet and they are flat and they are comfortable and people always compliment those. And then I have no idea, but people comment on my boobs. And so BBH was what he used to say. You know, if I was heading out the door, he'd be like, you're rocking the BBH. And so <laughs> BBH became a thing. So when I started blogging, and it, it's funny because it makes sense to all of us because we know, you know, in around the house, we make fun of, but I realized like most people are like, BB who? What? So, and, yeah. and not many people who get that far into the blog to ever really get the story. And so like, I've had people that I've, you know, been in contact via the blogger social media for years that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, one day they'll be like, Hey Meg, what does BBH stand for anyway? And I'm like, you didn't know? I would not know. <laughs> of course, like my flippant boobs, boots and hair. Duh. Yeah, that's right. Meg, it was a pleasure to talk to you. You're lots of fun. What we should do well, is you, in yeah. a cu- couple of months, we should check in with you and see how your cannabis uh, is uh, yes, helping you. Yes, please do. And we'll, we'll yes. do that. And uh, it'll be great because uh, you're, you're a delight. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've got the patch that's on my list. I've got a couple of different things. So I'm just going to keep trying things. I'm the, I'm the human testoid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Ian, Meg. Thank you so much. Okay, appreciate it. Have a good one. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's it. Another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to PodConnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why is an endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects.